Hello and welcome to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, start with a story. So I guess this is my invitation, Stefano, to share an experience. And I'm always very conscious that sometimes you've heard my stories before. So try and look interested when I tell this one. I'm um, always interested. It was about... <laughs> it was about it must be about four years ago now and I had to fly to America and um, it was a piece of work with a big insurance company and I had to go from Heathrow to the US and I'd never worked in the US before in this capacity and with a long flight I get bored very easily um, and I have to have something to read so uh, I usually get a book you know if I go on a slightly longer flight from Smith's in the airport terminal so and I, I know I'm a storytelling person like you, and I should be reading fiction, but I'm a bit sad. So I bought this book, which was entitled something like How to Start a Conversation with Anyone. I thought that would be good reading on the plane. So I buy this thing. It's quite a striking cover. It's a black background with big yellow writing on the front with a title. So I, can, I get on the plane. It's a row of three seats. I've got a middle seat. And the guy's already in the window seat, but fast asleep. You know, he's got his blindfold on. He's ready for the to, to sleep the whole journey through. I sit down in my middle seat. I get my book out on my lap. I'm staring at the title. And then the guy comes to sit in the aisle seat. And I look up at him and he looks at me and he looks at the book title. And I look at the book title and I look up at him and he looks at me. And I just know he's thinking to himself, oh, my God. I'm sitting next to Del Griffith from Planes, Trays and Automobiles for the next eight hours. Shower curtain ring salesman. What have I let myself in for? Can I, can I find the stewardess to change my seat? <laughs> <laughs> so, so he could sense that I'd sensed his slight anxiety. And I smiled at him and he laughed when I said, look, if, you, if you're uncomfortable about this, I can see you're anxious. Then if you want to sleep and that, that's absolutely fine with me. So we had a good giggle about it and he sat down and we spoke continually and not just me, by the way, both ways <laughs> for four and a half hours straight because he turned out he was speaking at a, a conference in London. He was an American guy flying home. So I was asking him all about how that went. You know, what did you speak about? How did it go? And then he said, well, what do you do? And I explained what I do for a living. And he was so interested and I was so interested that we just hit it off. And it was one of those lovely little moments that you and I talk about quite a bit. It's the small, I mean, it's not a big story, is it? It's not like, you know, winning a medal, a gold medal or winning, a, you know, climbing Everest. It's a little, tiny, little funny exchange. But I, and I always try and find a meaning from it. And I think one of the things there is that you often have these little moments of serendipity or unplanned exchanges, which turn out to be quite joyful when you're traveling. And of course, we don't travel now. We can't travel because this is being recorded during lockdown, one of the many lockdowns in, in the UK right now. So I'm stuck in my living room looking at your lovely face. Um, <laughs> and I wish we were in the same place physically so that we could actually have a chat. And who knows what would happen on the way in between. So that's kind we, of we what I normally to tell each other through, uh, <laughs> through the journey to get to each other. That could... <laughs> yeah. so that, that's, that's my planes, trains and automobile story. Oh, that's 
Brilliant. Um, I will come back to that in just a second, but thank you very much for, uh, for, for reading that, Andrew. But before we, we, we start uh, conversing a bit more, um, I just wanted to give a little note to anybody listening for the first time or anybody who has forgotten. Uh, my name is Stefano. I run Puck Creations and I am the regular host of this podcast. Um, if the title Storytelling with Puck hasn't given it away um, or Andrew's wonderful introduction, this podcast is all about stories. We'll share stories, chat about stories, and see how stories fit in with the business world too. Um, of course, we can do that without our wonderful guests. So I want to properly introduce Andrew Forp, who you just heard. Um, now, Andrew, before we continue talking about that uh, wonderful story and actually get more onto my thinking of some plane journeys that I've had with, um, <laughs> with, with people sitting next to me and us having a conversation and Cyan, my partner, sitting in the same row of chairs being a lot less interested. <laughs> why, don't you, why, don't you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, I'm, I'm one of those people who's reinvented themselves and gone in a different direction because I actually come from the golf and leisure industry because my brother's a golf professional. I set down that path as a youngster being a good player with the intention of following in his footsteps. I wasn't quite good enough. I ended up in a different aspect of the industry. But for 22 years, I worked as a, a referee and a journalist and a, a, a commercial golf and leisure club manager and, and a golf coach. And um, a life-changing experience about 12, 13 years ago now, which was a, a difficult business partnership, which I exited and lots of other things kind of went wrong at that time. It was an opportunity to reinvent myself, to start again, in other words, and, and go in a new direction. So I knew that I loved public speaking. I loved working with an audience. So I thought, well, I'll do that for a living. And nobody would give me any money for it. So I thought, well, I'll have to do something else along the side. So I began helping business people to present better. Uh, for which there is an enduring demand. Um, and during the course of that, you know, I did manage to get some speaking engagements. So that side of things developed. But I also realized that what the business people lacked was they lacked a good story to tell. Mm -hmm. They were very factual, very, you know, it left people informed, but unmoved when they heard their pitch, you know, about their business, their product, their service. So I now have a, what sounds like a made up job. I'm a I know, I know you wouldn't think this, but I'm a storytelling consultant and coach in the business world. Um, and when I was at school, I never knew you could do that. So it's, uh, I, no, I'm in a very happy part place. Of, of, part of any of my, um, uh, my, my careers, uh, careers day out. So. It wasn't, that wasn't in the manual. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But it, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful job. And I, I, I it's so important too. Um, as you say, there's there's often the uh, the, the the lack of, of emotion um, in in business presentations, in in sales chats, in conferences. Um, I was in fact listening to, uh, if anybody doesn't know, um, Andrew has his own podcast all about storytelling, which he's uh, which he's launched recently. It's fantastic. You should go and listen to it. Um, and I was listening to it um, just this morning. Um, and the episode that I was listening to, you were talking about. Um, the uh, the Greeks and what they can teach us <laughs> um, mm. from uh, from from <clears throat> their different ideas of the I guess the pillars of storytelling yeah um, and one of the the key points that you talked about um, is is what is often missing in business um, which is pathos which mm. is, which maybe I'll let you explain that actually in a bit more detail because you're the expert on this um, and it was fascinating listening to how you described it earlier. 
Well, hopefully I won't get too mixed up in the derivation of the word because that's not my area of expertise, but it is similar to empathy. Um, it's from the same root. It's very much about getting the audience to care about the main character or the protagonist in the story. Um, and I think an example I often use is when you're watching these natural history programs that Sir David Attenborough and others are, are hosting um, and narrating, they often use an individual turtle who's, you know, is swimming through the ocean, but it's got a plastic bag in its mouth and it's slowly being strangled. And we, and we look at it and we think, well, that's terrible. That's disgusting. Is this what we're doing to this planet, this poor thing? So it, it, it stirs up something inside us. It stirs up a feeling of feeling empathy and um, sympathy and, and sometimes disgust for what, what's happening, you know, to the natural world and what we're doing to it. So that, I think that, that would be an example of pathos. But really, any any time you watch a movie or you know a drama on TV, um, and you, you you're sucked in very very quickly, you begin to very quickly care about the character and what happens to them and why they're in the dilemma that they're in. You want them to get out of that problem. So I think that ability to hook the audience to to in the way that you make them care is very much at the heart of pathos, making them feel something and and want to sort of get behind the the main character. That makes a lot of sense, and 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 it's. Um, ties in quite nicely, I think, as well to your opening story. Um, when you sat down and there was that original glance across to your fellow passenger and you, you both looked a little bit worried, <laughs> because partly because you were worried that you might not care <laughs> and they might not care, um, and partly because you were worried that uh, you might care too much um, and they really, really might not care, <laughs> so there would be no pathos there at all. Um, but but I, I, I think um, what, what made the story work and, and uh, what made uh, me instantly relate to the story was that idea of being on the plane. I've been there, I've been in that situation, I've sat next to people sometimes wanting just to sleep for the whole journey, sometimes wanting to get involved with a conversation. Um, but what happened with your conversation is that actually once the conversation had started, there was that link, there was that pathos, there was that empathy between you and you were able to, um, to, to discuss something that mattered to you both. Um, I know that, um, as, I, as, as I said earlier, there have been a couple of um, uh, plane journeys that I've been on where uh, I maybe have had an interest in the person sitting next to me because we were talking about something that I enjoyed, maybe something like football, um, whereas Cyan's been sitting next to us both. And if I'm honest, neither of us, uh, neither me or the person I was talking to had much empathy with the idea that Cyan hates football and would rather just sleep the whole journey and not talk about it. <laughs> um, so... So there are always these, there are always, you have to understand who your audience um, is when you're, when you're thinking about patients yeah. and how you can empathize with them. Yeah. Um, and linking again, uh, back to the, the business world and, and, and a little bit to the, um, the, the, the charity sector as well. Sometimes it seems to me that when it comes to individual conversations in the business world, um, people are brilliant at instantly without thinking um, moving across into a story and having a chat and gaining that empathy. But when it comes to um, actual sales and when it comes to marketing, it, it, it can be completely missing. Whereas I feel like in the charity sector, they're very good at this. They understand how to use one person's story to evoke um, those emotions in their audience. Sometimes 
it, it, that can be to the detriment of the person who's actually the story's being told about. So you've got to be very careful, I think, in the charity mm -hmm. sector. There's a lot of eth ethical considerations. Um, as one of the people who uh, took part um, in Storytelling with Puck uh, highlighted, uh, her name's Gen Jennifer Root. Um, but having said that, they do the idea of storytelling with empathy and then getting people to want to be part of their organization very, very well. Whereas I, I'm sure in the world that you're in, you see this all the time, until you have um, been a supplier of theirs, a lot of businesses completely miss that when they mm. are doing their sales and their marketing. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting because I'm, I'm actually just recording something at the moment, which, which sort of covers that, the idea that I find that in business, when, when people are selling a product or a service, they tend to be very, very happy talking about the product or the service, and they're less comfortable talking about the people it serves, because that requires them to get out of their world and into the world of the people who the product can help. <laughs> but actually, the audience is the people who can be helped by the product. So if you can talk about them and talk about the context in which having that product will really help them, then you're on a winner because you'll get their attention. They can see, oh, this is about us. This can benefit us. And you're not really in the nuts and bolts of the, of the process, the, the, you know, the way the thing's put together, you know, how much it costs, all that sort of stuff. That's the cold, hard sort of factual framework of the story, but it's not the thing that will hook the audience it might be useful information but it will leave them unmoved otherwise and an, an example I think would be where if you know if you were going to a vital job interview and you all got your best suit on you had your shirt and tie on and you're in half an hour to go you're sitting in a cafe next to where the interview takes place if you spill coffee on your shirt and tie suddenly the ready availability of a men's fashion outlet will mean a lot to you <laughs> yes. um, and if they're closed for lunch that <laughs> that adds to the tension a little bit because you've got half an hour left and they're not open for another half an hour uh -huh. so, so the context in which you might need something makes that thing far more valuable but if the person selling it doesn't refer to that or paint that picture then they're, they're missing a trick they, you know that they really are it's true. Um, you um, have, I imagine, seen um, that's one of uh, our, our, our kind of taglines in our business. And, and, and actually, what we, what we tell every single um, person that we speak to um, what, about what we do is that we make um, people think, feel, and take action. Now, it, it, because it sounds better as think, feel, take action, we kept it that way. But in reality, what we do is we make people feel and then, uh, and then when they are thinking, that's when we get to the facts. And, yes. um, and, and, and by the time they thought something through, they then, they then actually um, mm. are hopefully taking an action if we've done our mm. job well. Mm. But the idea behind that is exactly what you were just talking about. It's, it, it, it's the idea that if you purely go in with, here's a list of logical reasons you should buy something off me, you're never going to get further than saying hello, because people don't care. You've given them no reason to listen to you. Yeah. Whereas if you are talking to someone and you give them a reason to feel something, potentially by telling the story, and as you say, at the very least by being relatable and referencing them and their needs and what the benefits are of what you do, suddenly you pique their interest. You get them, as you mentioned earlier, feeling something, going all the way back to pathos and empathy. 
And once they've got that feeling, once they're starting to get close to thinking, actually, I want to find out more about this, I want to potentially build a relationship, or maybe I'm even thinking about buying, that's then sometimes where things like facts do come into play. Because once people get to the stage of wanting to buy, what often puts them off is then the kind of the logical reasons of, oh, well, I really want this, but actually, oh, I don't know if I've got enough money for the budget for it. Um, I... I don't know, there's, there's a billion reasons that people decide not to buy something. But for your particular product, if you can think of well, what are the potential objections to this and can I overcome them with mm. the logical answers, then you've got that mixture of empathy, um, of logical thought process. And then you can ask, at that point, you can ask somebody to do something because mm. you've gone past the stage of begging someone to buy something off you um, because they already they already have a relationship. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. already have a relationship with your product. And I re I remember listening to um, a neuroscientist talking about if there's a difference between what your audience is willing to do now and what you want them to do, you've got to fill the gap with desire. Yes. So if you can create that feel of I want this, I need this, this sounds really really good, they'll often fit the facts into that. Mm -hmm. by justifying why they might be able to afford it after all yeah. whereas if you go in with that logical proposition straight away you're only really appealing that's the logos you're only really appealing to a, a an intellectual proposition an intellectual argument which they could very easily dismiss because there's no emotion behind their desire there isn't any desire created yet that's right um i i i, I think um what's what's interesting about that is we, we often as business people and, and, and working in sales, um, think about what we want our potential customers to do. Um, what I often like to do is think about what I want to do as a buyer. And so to switch the process on its head. And if you think about yourself as a buyer, the last thing you usually want is for somebody to come up to you and start spouting a whole load of facts, mm. a whole load of logical facts. You, you instantly switch off. If I see a billboard with a billion bullet points saying, this is why we're great. We are the cheapest in the world. Um, we have 400,000 more customers than our biggest competitor. Before I fall asleep and get run over in the middle of the road, I need to walk away. But, but, but if, if, if that's... <laughs> <laughs> if that same if that same company had something which attracted me with some kind of moving image or some kind of idea of um as you said earlier desire then suddenly when it gets to those points about the facts or in my own head i'm already making up the facts of why i want to buy it's a lot easier for them to do a sale and i think that's that flipping of i'm i'm not a salesperson at this point i'm a buyer really really helps so I, I want to, I want to, to um, I guess, connect that to you a little bit more and, 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 and what you now do with your clients, because you, we've, we've had private discussions in the past about, about your, your business and your communication and, and how you're helping people. Um, how do you go about helping your clients? Obviously, we don't want all of the secrets um, about helping your clients to, I guess, be able to tell a story. I think it starts really with asking them, well, what do you want to say and why? So sometimes they'll be, um, you know, there might be a, a consultant 
who has a, a lot of technical expertise behind them and they've been sort of pushed a little bit into sales because they've got to bring their own work in now <laughs> and they're comfortable talking about their technical areas but less comfortable with selling because they didn't sign up for that um, and it's kind of assumed they'll just figure out how to do that but of course so that in that situation that's very much about helping them tell a story that resonates with their audience on a level which is not the same as them talking to their technical peers <laughs> simplifying dumbing down but that doesn't imply that it's lacking in something. It's actually very skillful to explain something complicated in simple terms that still retains your professionalism and still retains your status and gravitas in the eyes of the audience. And um, so that would be a typical kind of assignment, I guess, to help people of that technical nature. And um, sometimes it's because they just don't have enough confidence in themselves that they are interesting people. Because again, when they're talking about technical things, that's their comfort zone, when they have to sort of sell themselves and, and go to the cocktail reception or the networking bit or the dinner afterwards with the clients, they're a bit, you know, all at sea, they don't know what to do. Yeah. So that's very much about helping them build their peripheral stories around their core expertise and around things like, you know, how did you get into this line of work or, you know, what, what do you enjoy about it? Um, what have you learned during the years that you've been doing this? And all, also all the anecdotal stuff, which seems somehow unconnected. And, and one example of that sort of helping them to sell themselves a little bit would be where, I mean, you, you know, when people are selling something and they try too hard, they launch straight into their pitch <laughs> and it's all, you know, it's too early, you know, don't, don't sell to me. Just, you know, let's just get to know each other a bit first. And I always think that the people who struggle with that, one of the tricks of the trade there is to look at the environment that you're in. And let's assume this is pre-COVID or maybe post-COVID when we can go to events again at conferences and so forth. So if there's something in the environment that you can pick up on, that's a gift, that's, that's gold. And there are a number of companies where, where they've um, hired an unusual venue like a cinema. So you can just imagine the dialogue there where someone says, oh, hi, what's your name? I'm Jeff. Um, and you say, do you know, the last time I was here, it was on a date. <laughs> and the other person might say, well, how did it go? And he said, well, I took her to see The Exorcist and it turned out she wasn't a fan of horror. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or it went very well and we're married now, you know. So, they, so you're picking up on something that's about the environment. That's nothing to do with work but it breaks the ice, it, it creates that sort of human to human connection. Um, and then that you pave the way for talking about, you know, maybe the slightly more transactional stuff. So that's, that's, that's an example of how I would help them to operate in those situations. And again, I, I like to split it. I have these two sort of acronyms, well not acronyms, but abbreviations, PPP and SSS. Right. So a PPP is a pre-prepared presentation. So that's helping them tell a better story about the company, their product, their service, when they have a stage, you know, whether that's online or whether it's on a physical stage. Um, but then an SSS is kind of what we're doing now. It's a spontaneous speaking situation. It's okay. where <laughs> it's where we don't know where things are gonna go. We have to improvise, think on our feet, go with the flow a little bit, um, bring stuff out of our locker to, you know, hopefully find a connection with the audience and somehow, you know, raise our, our stock in, in their eyes. So that that's kind of summarizes the, the work and maybe how it, how it relates to those situations. 
That makes that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And the the idea of the SSS, uh, I, I, I I need to make sure I always have the third S to that uh, acronym. But the idea of the SSS is, uh, is is a brilliant one. And I also like that you don't just have um, you know an acronym that says this is what you need to do. You then explain to your clients how they are actually able to do that. And by using the example of looking at the environment around you, taking in and absorbing what's there before you even start a conversation, and trying to create some stories in your head or and actually this is a key point i use the word create there um and a lot of storytelling is creation but actually a lot of storytelling is simply remembering um and the story you told of uh, you know i the last time i was here was was uh, with a with, with a, a first date um would, would just be a memory and it's just a particular moment in time and there's a few um big kind of areas that happened before that moment and areas that uh, and then there's the key result of what happened after that moment and people will often ask you questions around that moment in time and I, I think that looking at your environment or just thinking about a moment in time is really really important when people aren't confident in telling stories that it doesn't have to be overly complicated mm. it doesn't have to be something that um it's not war and peace it's not the lord of the rings it doesn't have to be a, a whole novel a huge book mm. a story can simply be something along the lines of I was riding my bike um, on the cycle path the other day and um, a van uh, cut in front of me. That's the start of a story. Mm. And if you're telling a, 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 if you want to expand on that because you're telling it to a big audience, um, then again, you remember what you were doing when you were riding the bike, were you looking around you? Did you see the van? Um, and then what was the result of the van cutting in front of you? Did you crash? Was it a near miss? Mm. That is a story. It's there's, all, there's also the build-up to it because you 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 kind of reminded of me of this the other day, and um, because we were talking about the fact that people often think, well, I don't have any stories, you know, there's nothing impressive that I have to say. And it's not that that's a really, you know, that's not the way to think of storytelling. It's lots of little things. And you said to me, as long as something happens, there was a bit that happened before that led up to it, and there's a bit afterwards which are kind of the reflection or you know what 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 happened in the aftermath. So with the bike thing, it might be that that's the first time you've cycled for years <laughs> and you watched a documentary on TV about health and fitness and getting off your backside and stuff. And you thought, oh, I've got a bike. I'll dust it off. But because you hadn't cycled for so long, you weren't really road aware yet. So maybe there was an element of it being your fault because you're, you're out of practice. You reminded me of the, the, the basic three-act structure is everywhere. It starts with the thing that happened that maybe triggers the thought or the memory, what led to it happening, and what happened afterwards. And that stuff happens all the time. Exactly that. It really does. And going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation and talking about empathy, um, instantly, because often those kind of stories are things that have happened directly to you um, or something that's happened to someone you know, um, something similar or at least a feeling that um, or something that might be a bit different but evoked a similar kind of feeling um, will have happened to somebody else and that's mm -hmm. where the empathy then comes in because you to be relatable 
relatability isn't about having exactly the same thing happen to every single person because to be honest that would just be boring everybody would just say yes i've done that too Mm. but the relatability is about the feelings that you had and so people can picture you cycling down that path people can picture the nerves that they had maybe nerves going into an interview but it's still that they had those nerves so they can feel those nerves that you have um and then you're slightly embarrassed as well because your bicycle's 10 years old and everybody's got their lycra on they've got the modern you know seven thousand pound modern version and you've got some clapped out clapped out old thing that's got cobwebs on it in the garage so maybe there was a sense of slight embarrassment there as well yeah yeah exactly exactly so th- th- that's what it's all about it's all about that relatability and so we talk about that now and we talk about the relatability but some people might then ask but what does that have to do with business yes being relatable is great building rapport is great um okay, you've talked about, you know, maybe not just jumping into a sale, so you might have a couple of seconds conversation before, but, you know, how does it really, really help my business? Is there any, is, you know, are there, are, people say, you're talking about empathy all the time, but what are the facts here? How are we, how are we uh, um, going to earn any money off telling stories? And you're a specific person I wanted to ask about this because you've, uh, you've mentioned it to me um, on a previous conversation. So how do you go about making money out of stories? Well, you may as well say, um, you may as well say well, the best thing to do is ask the company, a big organization, right? How much money do you spend on advertising <laughs> and commercials? And they'll look at their budget. And if it's like, you know, Volvo or, you know, a Jaguar or something, well, well quite a lot, actually. <laughs> well, that's storytelling. <laughs> so you may as well say, why do you do selling and marketing? Why do you do that? Well, it's, you know, you wouldn't ask that question. It's too obvious. So I think a lot of it comes down from misunderstanding what storytelling means. Yeah. If you think, or is all you do, Andrew, is you teach people to still tell funny anecdotes. <laughs> Haven't quite got it. <laughs> um, because I think, you know, the, the association of the word storytelling with anecdotal storytelling and maybe seeing people on the Graham Norton show or whatever, is, I guess, an understandable you know, perception of what it means. Yeah. But it's, for me, it's about crafting a message and finding a connection with your audience in a way that then is more likely to move them to act, you know, back to your think, feel and, and act thing. Yes. Um, because if you don't get them to feel anything, then they're unlikely to act based on pure logic. Um, and the best way to get them to feel something, we know that stories are just the most extraordinary vehicle for triggering emotion. So there's an argument for you. I think it's a very good argument. Um, I, I, uh, uh, I, I, I'm probably uh, an easier person to persuade than most because I'm already yes. on your side. Uh, yes, <laughs> but you hopefully, hopefully, a few people listening uh, will have uh, have also been persuaded by that. Um, and to cement it a little, I'm going to ask you a, a, a strange question that most people um, listening will probably not understand, but I'm hoping that you do. Talk to me about joy cleaning. <laughs> well that sounds a potentially very dry and boring topic doesn't it it does okay so that's your graham norton bit where you're setting me up for a story that you've heard me tell in the green room beforehand <laughs> so but so basically a few years ago I'm, I'm at a networking event you know i've just explained to a guy the kind of stuff we've been talking about telling a better story about your business and he says well how do i tell a better story about my business so I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I run a chain of dry cleaning stores. 
to which I said, well, for goodness sake, don't talk about dry cleaning. And then he got a bit upset. He looked a bit miffed, a bit annoyed. <laughs> he said, well, why not? I said, well, let, let me clarify what I mean by that. If you talk about, you know, how many stores you've got, what's the name of the brand, you know, what sort of deals you've got that, that end on Friday and all this expensive machinery you've invested in and all this range of services that you've got, people will probably start looking at their watch and say, goodness me, is that the time? You know, I really must go. So it's not going to hook people and it is literally dry. So I said, the key really is you've got to get into the shoes of your customers and start talking about the clothes that they bring in and why a particular garment is uh, cherished, has got ruined or somehow damaged, but why it needs to look at its best, you know, either that very afternoon or indeed in half an hour's time. <laughs> That's potentially very interesting to an audience because they can see themselves on the part of, well, yeah, that happened to me a while ago or whatever, very relatable. And it also means that you've got a, a lot more potential material to use because of the myriad of examples and contexts in which people bring clothing in than you have if you just talk about the first stuff. Yes. You'll get bored of saying the same thing if you don't talk about the customer side. That's so we kind of started to get that then. He said, oh, I hadn't really thought of it that way before, but I think he's not alone. Because, again, he's very close to his product. He's proud of his brand. He's invested all this money in machinery. So, obviously, he, he wants to talk about all the machinery. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you often find that with printers as well. You know, they bought all this expensive gear. <laughs> and they want to tell you, I've got the latest Canon 3.5CX. Nobody cares. You know. Nobody remembers. Nobody cares. And what's interesting as well, I think, something which... Um, I hadn't thought about as much um, from from reading. For, for those of you who don't know, um, there's a there's a there's a, a shorter version of that story on, on on Andrew's LinkedIn profile, which is why I was uh, cheeky enough to ask about it. Um, but something I didn't think about uh, the first time I read it um, was uh, what you mentioned there about it's not just the fact that your potential clients are going to get bored of you telling telling them about the latest machinery you will also get really, yes. really bored. Yes. And your clients will see that. Your clients will see that you don't, you don't actually care either. Mm. Um, you, you, you're, not, you're not telling the story that's entertaining you. If you're trotting off the same you. old phrase and the same old script over and over and over again, you're exactly right. Your audience will sense that you're, you've got a bit complacent. You sound a bit bored of it. So for your own amusement, as much as anything else, but also for your own sense of feeling excited about what you're saying you've got to find different ways of saying the same thing all the time and again the best way of doing that is all those little peripheral stories so this, if you think of the core story is yes that's what you do i've put stefano in the right category in the right box so to speak <laughs> i don't think he's a sculptor or a, you know sells photocopier paper then then i've got that wrong okay so we've got him in the right box there, but there's lots of peripheral things around, which might be all the different stories that you can tell, all the different models and metaphors and things that you can make that core story sound more interesting. But it also is more interesting for you as well as the speaker. Indeed. I think that's really powerful. Um, so I think it's maybe a good time uh, to, to potentially leave it on that note, although I would like to do this um, uh, to, to catch up with you and, and, and do another one of these at some point. Um, but before, um, before we go, there are, there are two things I would, I, I would like to do. 
The first is that I would like you to tell the audience where they can find you, where they can see. Um, well, I'm in my living room, Stefan. I'm always in my living room. So that's, <laughs> that's an easy question to answer. Okay, brilliant. So um, if you just put your address um, <laughs> and if you could also put your bank account details um, on an email, <laughs> and then, then, then I'll, I'll advertise. That <laughs> um, so, so maybe in the, uh, in the more digital world these days where people, where people are able to find you um, and uh, to to um, acquire your services if they if they so need, um, and then if you don't mind after that, I would uh, like to 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 finish off um, by reading a story myself to say goodbye to the audience. It's uh, it's a tradition. It's going to be a tradition for the podcast. Nice. <laughs> um, top top and tail, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, uh, I I will I will let you tell everyone where where they can find you now. I will then say uh, my thank yous, read the story, and we'll say goodbye to everyone on the podcast. All right, thanks, Stefano. So so my my surname is is spelled T H O R P, and there's no e on the end. So most Thorpes have an e on the end. So if you type in Andrew Thorpe into uh, LinkedIn, you'll probably find it very easily. And I'm sometimes known as the multi-story man, um, which, which <laughs> came to me on a run. <laughs> um, the podcast is called Leaning Forward. And the easiest way to find that is just to go onto Apple Podcasts or Spotify and type it into the search because I've tried that and it works. So even <laughs> though the podcast is very new, then you can find it that way. Um, and uh, also my website is again just my name andrewthorpe.co.uk fantastic thank you very much um i will put that and also if you think of any others after um after the show that um that other ways that people can find you i will put all of that um onto the podcast transcript so people can see and uh, and it, it's well worth finding andrew um whether or not you need his services just to have a chat with him absolutely lovely lovely guy um with incredible stories and also amazing at what you do so thank you so much for being a guest on the storytelling no it's been it's been delightful to talk to you it always is stefano thanks for asking uh, indeed it always is it always is um right so thank you everyone for listening i will say goodbye now and we will uh, catch you up on the next episode of storytelling with puck the podcast this story was written for Storytelling with Puck 2020. It was something she said. It stuck with me. It wasn't the first time somebody said it, but this time I heard it. I really heard it. We can be anything or anyone we want to be. There was a certainty in her voice, an assurance. These weren't just words for her, they were life. Tying her hair in a ponytail, she whispered, goodbye. Her bag seemed to throw itself over her shoulder, like it wanted to be there. It ended in the same way it begun, on her terms. Oh, don't worry, this isn't a long story. She had only entered my life half an hour before. I never knew her name. All I knew was that she wanted something I had. She pointed the gun at my head and gently ushered me towards my chair. She left the handcuffs loose enough so that I, that I was comfortable, but tight enough so that I couldn't escape. She said, 
Your team are unconscious, but they'll be okay. You will too, if you cooperate. You can go back to your wife and your two beautiful children. Where is the key? I gave it up easily. This was just a job. My family were everything. I didn't even know what I was protecting. It was just a box. They stole this from my people. They told us we weren't worthy, that we would never amount to anything. They were wrong. We can be anything or anyone we want to be. You've just been listening to the Storytelling with Pug podcast. We'll be back very soon, so make sure you subscribe and catch up on any of the episodes you've missed.